one of the ways you'd know uh, in the Old Testament that uh, all those thousands and thousands of animals were being slayed, uh, slain is the priest would come out and he would, uh, he would dip uh, the, I can't remember exactly, but he would dip uh, a branch and he would sprinkle everybody so you had blood spots all over you. <laughs> so all your clothes were, you know, you had, you had uh, this, you know, you were covered in the blood. You were, it was God's way of saying, you know, you've been cleansed. And uh, can you imagine coming, coming back from church and uh, the tabernacle and everybody's like, you know, moms are going like, I don't know how I'm going to get that blood out. You know, I don't know. Clorox is not going to do it. I mean, whatever. But uh, you were sprinkled with the blood and uh, without the blood, there was no forgiveness of sin. So what a, what a beautiful picture that it was. Thanks, Greg, for sharing that with us. It's, uh, it's beautiful. We're going to be looking at uh, about fighting. Uh-oh. <laughs> but the fighting we're going to be talking about is fighting for joy in the Lord. Uh, I think that's probably the, the, the one battle in the Christian life that will save you a lot of gray hair and maybe will save you from being like me, bald, uh, will be, uh, is that joy that Paul's talking about in Philippians. He's talking about rejoy, rejoicing in the Lord always. He's talking about joy in the Lord. He's even said, I, I, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice uh, in chapter 1. And so he's in prison and uh, he gives uh, this last exhortation. But the exhortation, while it's talking about this battle, this fight, for joy, it's the joy that we find in the Lord, and that's the battle in the Christian life. It's not just, it's not just a, who am I fighting out there in the world, but it's fighting for the joy that is in your heart and life, which will enable you to deal with the circumstances that you go through every day. And so that's what Paul's going to talk about here. But this is the first, think about it, we've been going through Philippians chapter 1, and this is the first command or exhortation in the book. So you get, he's basically saying, this is all God's done for you. And that's how the Bible's written. It's saying, look at all God's done for you. You, know, you have all these privileges of being citizens of, of the kingdom of heaven. And, and you've, you've shared in, and you've enjoyed the grace of God and forgiveness. And then you have a command and you go like, okay, well, what's the command? Does that mean in order for me to get the blessing, I have to obey? No, the, the obedience always flows out of all the benefits that God's given us as Christians. And so at Paul's, so when he says uh, in verse 27, only, he's just saying, okay, this is the only thing I want to leave with you. This is the only thing that I want you to talk about. And he's going to talk about this command, and it's really going to highlight chapter 2 because he's going to talk about, well, well, I need examples. I mean, most of us, when somebody tells us something, you say, well, could you give me a little picture of that? You know, could you, could you paint a picture? Could you, um, could you, could you give me a, an illustration? And so Paul in chapter 2 gives, him, gives us illustrations of what he's talking about, in this, uh, about this command here. But notice the command in verse 27, and, it, and he takes us through verse 30. But it's really only one command, and it's this. Only let your manner of life or your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent... I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. 
For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had now, I had and now here that I still have. And so Paul ends it there, but actually he's going to continue on explaining all that in more detail later on. And so uh, let us pray as we just come to this text and just talk about to what does it mean to fight for joy and, and what is that, that idea of conducting ourselves, living in a manner ple- uh, that, that's worthy of the gospel? What's that all about? Why, is, why does Paul make that his only command here? And why is it so important for us as Christians? Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, just the, the safety that uh, you gave each one of us to get here this morning. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your, your amazing grace in our life that... Uh, we have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's on his throne. And Lord, we may, uh, many ca- times we go through things in life that we don't understand, but Lord, we know that you're at work. Uh, you never are absent from our lives. And when we think you're the furthest away, Lord, you're the closest often. And so as you meet us here this morning uh, through, and you've met us here this morning through your word Uh, through the call to worship. You've met us here, Father, through the the sharing of praise and thanksgiving and prayer requests. Uh, Lord, you've met us here as we sung praises unto your name because you're worthy. And now we ask that you would, uh, Father, that you would indict and that you would would accompany your word by the, the working of your Holy Spirit as he has promised that he would work through the word. Uh, Father, to show us Jesus... Lord, that's the desire of each of our hearts is that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the great, uh, you know, you, you're studying the Old Testament, and I think uh, Kenny's done that, but has been, uh, he did that this morning. Uh, but one of the things you remember, a lot of the battles in the Old Testament, that they would go out, to, they would go out to, into the battle, and the choir would lead. And it says, they would say, stand still and see the salvation of God. And then the choir would start singing. And then, then God would say, the battle's not yours, it's mine. And it was a way of just reminding them that God was leading the charge, that God's in command of what's going on. That the battle is his battle. And that if we're a part of that, it's not that we have, to, we have to do all the work. It's that we have to trust him in the midst of that battle. And so uh, Nehemiah was reminded of that in, in when he was building the wall. You remember he was rebuilding the wall? Rebuilt it, I think, in 58 days or 56 days. But one of the things as the people started weeping and they looked at the, the, the wall and they looked at the, the tab, temple and they started weeping, saying it's so small, it's so insignificant. Nehemiah reminded them, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And what Paul is talking about here in the Christian life is one of the biggest things that that interferes with our joy is what? Your circumstances, my circumstances, right? Everyday life, the, the, the... uh, the, the struggles at work, the struggles at school, the, the people that give us a hard time, the call that we didn't expect, all of those things are things that seem to come at us all at once. And all of a sudden we get, we really start worrying and we start fretting. And all of a sudden the joy of the Lord, uh, it, it, it's like we, we, we know it's there, but, but for some reason all of these other things have just overwhelmed us in the midst of this battle that's going on. And Satan knows that. 
And that's why Paul says only here, he says, this one thing I want, I want you to know, just remember this. Now, and when, it's kind of like when somebody says at the end of their life, I just want to leave one thing with you. And if they say that, what's going to happen? You're probably going to remember what they said, right? The famous last words, <laughs> you know, uh, give me liberty or give me what? Give me death. I mean, you know, you're going you're gonna to remember those kind of things that people leave with you. But what was this command meaning? What does Paul mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? Because that, because that idea there is like uh, if I had a scale here and it was sitting on a, let's say a pyramid, and you had a, you had a scale here and they were measuring out stuff, and Greg, you would understand that, is that you'd put, okay, I want a pound of meat. You got a pound scale there, Right. Somebody starts putting stuff on the other side, right? You put the meat on the other side. And when that thing does what? When it's bounced, that's the word worthy. When that's bounced, he's saying that that's, that's authentic. That's not just, hey, I just believe in Jesus. No, my life proves and shows that I'm trusting in Christ, that I trust in his forgiveness. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. I'm not by any means saying that. But what it's saying is that he bring your, your I, I always, I, I use the little words with my kids. I'll say, bring your walkie in line with your talkie. You know, your walkie and your talkie should kind of be kind of in balance here. And that's what Paul's talking about, walking worthy of the gospel is saying, you know, if I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that I'm saved by grace, that doesn't mean I can go out and do anything I want. I can't go out and just shack up with anybody and say, well, my, my marriage is, you know, my, my wife will understand that. You know, that, I mean, so he's saying the gospel makes a difference. The authentic, authenticity, the, um, if you kind of like, I, I kind of phrase it like this. Um, in this, uh, in my, uh, and I have to go back to my notes just to even kind of as I think about the credibility of the gospel message is magnified by the way that we live the Christian life. The credibility of the gospel message is going to be magnified by the way we live our Christian life. And so that's what Paul's saying is that, so he's commanding us that, that the way we live is important. It's not, it's not an unimportant thing. I mean, for, you know, uh, you know if somebody says, well, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer, then, then, you know, are they trusting in Christ? Are they, uh, when they sin, do they, they, they fall on their face and say, Lord, you know, I know that I, I've sinned, but, but, but what, I, I need your forgiveness. And if, I've, and if I've wronged somebody else, I need to ask them for forgiveness. In other words, the gospel is not just merely, I believe in Jesus. It's applying what I believe about Jesus in the way I live my life. And so, so there's, there's, there's people always out there preaching, well, you just, you know, you're saved by grace. It doesn't make any difference how you live. You can live a licentious life. And you go like, eh, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that. You know, the Bible doesn't teach, you know, that you can, because Paul's saying, look, you know, you live a life worthy of the gospel and then he tells us four different things that that looks like. He's kind of like he's saying, okay, well, this is what living worthy of the gospel looks like in your life. In other words, the doctrines we believe have impact on the way that we live. And so that's what orthodoxy is all about. I used to, me and my wife used to have this conversation when we were dating. And I would ask her, I'd say, well, are there any sound works? And she'd say, look at me, she'd say, what's a sound work? Well, the word sound is the word, is the word that we get hygiene from. You know what hygiene is? Hygiene words, hygiene work, 
It's healthy. And, and Paul uses that word hygiene when he says, he says, you know, preserve sound words. He's talking about hygienic words or, or healthy words. Because if you eat healthy food, what's going to happen to your body? It's going to be healthy. <laughs> and he's saying, you know, doctrine is important. And so then he gives us, he tells us four ways that that should look like in your life. Number one is that we share a commitment to the gospel battle. Notice that. Notice how he says it there. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are doing what? Standing firm. In other words, I'm committed to the same battle. And the battle is that we're fighting for is gospel truth. So, so he's saying, you know, that there's this shared commitment in the church to the gospel battle. And the battle that, that we're fighting for is not just, it's not over the color of the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, um, you know, it's not parking space. The battle we're in in our society today is, will we believe the gospel and that Jesus is the only way? I mean, that's being attacked, right? In fact, in some places, Canada, uh, even the United Kingdom, I think Australia, people are arrested if they try to convert somebody with the gospel. You know, you, you know it's, it's like, well, you can't use conversion therapy on this person. I mean, you know, they're like that because that's the way that God made them. And you're going like, yeah, but they've, been, they've rebelled against God just like I did, and I need the gospel too. And, uh, you know, pastors arrested, uh, people who are preaching the, the gospel of God's grace. And, and so Paul tells us that we have to endure hardness or suffering for the gospel. In fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, you remember it says, We fight not against flesh and blood, but what? Against principalities and powers and things present, things that are higher than us. And he says, and therefore you need the, what do you need? You need the gospel armor. What's the gospel armor? You've got the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, right? You've got, you've got the shield of faith. You, you, but, but the whole idea here is that as a Christian, when you sign up to follow Jesus, guess what? You've got a target on your back. And Satan, ha Satan hates God, but if you've got a target on your back, guess what? He hates those who have trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So you're in a gospel battle. You're in a battle for the truth. You, and so in order for that battle to go forth, we need to know something that most sometimes we forget, and that's the rules of engagement. Frank, you know what those are, right? Remember the, the, I, was re, I, just, I watched this movie again because I like the movie. Not, not because I like the scenes in the movie, but you remember Black Hawk Down. What happened to that disastrous battle in that battle? They forgot the rules of engagement. In fact, the guys are sitting there, and they're being fired on, and, and, and one of the Marines is looking at, or I don't know if he's a Marine or if he's a, a Ranger, and he's looking at the, his, uh, his, his, his uh, sergeant, and he says, what are we supposed to do? He says, shoot back. <laughs> they're shooting at you, shoot back. And, and, but that whole thing became a disaster because they forgot the rules of engagement. We are in a battle. And the battle is for the truth. It's, it's what we believe as the gospel is, yes, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. I believe in that, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. I believe that he, that he lived a perfect life and he suffered and that he died and that he rose again the third day. And that uh, he ascended to heaven and that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church, the universal church. I believe those things. 
but, but the world doesn't believe those things. And Satan wants to do everything that he can to the church so that the church loses its credibility. See, if we forget who we're fighting and the church begins doing this, boom, 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 guess what? We lost credibility with the world. And so that's why Paul's saying, remember this. This is, this, is, this is the rules of engagement. Guess what? Don't get shooting each other. That's friendly fire. <laughs> He's saying the battle is out there, but also the battle's in your heart, right? I mean, I fight every day for joy. You know, you get up. Oh, man, my back's hurting. And I can hardly get up sometimes because as I get up, my knees are hurting. I may need a, a, a knee replacement. And then you start getting a phone call and somebody says, would you pray for me because this is happening. And then all of a sudden you get, all of a sudden you get these, all these things that are going on in your life. And all of a sudden you forget that Jesus is on the throne. And then I have a commander in chief and I need to go to him and say, Lord, I know that I believe that you are in command and that your grace is sovereign in my life, but I need help. And guess what? You're fighting the battle when you do that. See, you have to fight for joy. It's not, you know, somebody used to tell me about the Christian life and about sanctification. He said, you know, all you have to do is just let go and let God. And I go like, let go and let God. How does that happen? In my life, it doesn't work that way. It's, you know, it's, sometimes it's, it's, it's fisticuffs, you know, it's, it's part of us wrestling and beating up on me. Uh, the pastor in London uh, gave this story about, you know, about fighting the fight. And he said, this man went to church and the pastor told him, well, if you give me your money, he says, God will give you a Jaguar. And the guy says, you know, I don't, I don't need a Jaguar. I already have a Jaguar. And he went to the next church the next Sunday, and the pastor, he says, uh, said to the pastor, you know, the guy down the street told me if I, come to, if I give, him, give you my money that God would give me a Jaguar. He says, but I don't, I says, I have a Jaguar, and my life's miserable. And doesn't Christianity give you anything more than a Jaguar? <laughs> it sure does. The joy of the Lord is my strength. To know that if I die this moment, that my, present, that, that my soul leaves this body, it goes to be with the Lord. It's been covered in the blood of Jesus. And, and so, yes, we have, we're in this battle. But not only do we have the shared vision of, of where the battle is, we have the shared vision of what gospel community looks like. Because you notice what he talks about when he talks about fighting. Notice that with one mind, one spirit, with one mind, striving Against each other for the faith of the gospel, right? No. Notice that. Striving side by side. You picture this battle and you got the soldiers, especially in the Roman, you know, they would do the, they would have the, the shield and they would just get in a circle or even the Greeks would do this. And they would, and, and they would be side by side ready to face the enemy. That the community of believers working together, fighting against the same enemy, I mean, there's nothing more that will bring community is when, uh, you know, you're involved in some kind of ministry together, right? I remember a couple of ministries we had at uh, Rock Branch. Uh, Chris and I were talking about that and just how uh, we were just, all we were doing is after school Bible clubs, we'd go there and teach the kids. Many of these kids, I mean, they were using God's name. I mean, these four and five-year-old kids, God's name in vain. It was just like, and we'd invite them out to Wednesday night Bible club. 
And some of the ladies would say, man, you know, we just feel like we're babysitting. I said, you know, that might be true, but these kids are hearing the gospel. And then later on, what would happen is that one kid, I remember this one little kid specifically, man, he would use God this and God that and blah, 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 and you just go like, and the teacher was going, I just don't know. And then one Sunday, he starts praying and thanking God. And I go like, now that's the gospel. That's how the gospel changes people. And you know what that did? It brought community to the church. It brought excitement to the church. I remember uh, several people, they were, you know, forgive me, they were in their mid-80s, and there might be a person or two here that might be in the mid-80s, but they were so excited, and they started coming to after-school Bible club just so they could be a part of sitting down with those kids and helping them hear the gospel. And that was exciting because what happened is all of a sudden is you got, you got all of us are all different, right? Different gifts. And all of a sudden, the church is working together with what one purpose? To glorify God, to share Jesus Christ with these kids. And it was, it was but the, the word he uses here is like a wrestling match or an athletic contest in which you're striving together. Now, that's fighting, right? That means that, you know, Lord, I, I, I've got some, so many other things that are more important today. <laughs> Lord, I, I, you know, can you call somebody else? Because, you know, it's just, it's just not going to happen today. I mean, think of the Band of Brothers. You know that movie, Band of Brothers? What brought them together? They were fighting in the trenches. They were fighting in the foxholes. And, and, you know, you didn't, have to, you didn't have to say to them, you know, you should look out for your brother. No, they were looking out for each other because you, that's, that's a part of being in a battle together. You look out and pray for one another. See, Satan realizes that if he can bring division and strife by introducing other things other than Jesus as the main, the main focus, it will divide it will cause the church to be divided. In fact, if you turn over to Philippians chapter 4, I think Paul kind of implies that, what's going to happen here in Philippi. Notice verse 2. Now, I'm not picking on the women. These are women, but th there were other guys that were having the problems too. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So here they were. They were, had been working together with Paul in the ministry, but all of a sudden something, they had a little fight over something. I don't know. Was it the color of, was it, what was it? What, you know, was it, was it something? I mean, I, we don't, we're not told. But Paul's saying, look, you know, don't let that kind of stuff tear up the church. Because the credibility of the gospel and how the world looks at the gospel is that we're fighting together for one thing. We believe the gospel. Our leader is Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit indwells his people. And, and, and so that is a powerful witness to the world. In, in fact, later on, he, Paul, you know, in chapter 2, he'll talk about don't murmur and complain. Guess what? You know, my biggest struggle for fighting for joy is this, contentment. I'm always content as long as everything's going my way. Ask Chris. 
And when I, and when I start mumbling, she says, give me that, you stop that, that Mullins mumble, you know, because my mom would have that Mullins mumble. And she said, I don't want to hear that Mullins mumble. I said, okay, honey, I got it. I got it. That Mullins mumble, you know, just, you know, well, it's because I'm not getting my way. You know, and that, and that happens in the Christian life. So we're fighting this battle, and we always have to keep refocused. We have to, each, we have to help each other refocus, right? Like, wait there, the enemy's out there, not here. <laughs> it's not you, it's not me, it's, it's, the, it's not another believer. It's other people who don't love the gospel, who need to hear the gospel. And then the third thing he says that we need to share in terms of uh, gospel credibility, he's saying this, is that we have to share a same view of suffering, gospel suffering. You know, notice that in, in this right here, he says, that, verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Do you realize you're saved by grace? And do you realize when you're suffering for the name of Jesus, that's grace? He uses the same word grace there. That's a gift. You're saying, but Lord, I, 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 don't, mind, I don't mind serving Jesus, but I didn't expect this, that people would be upset about it and they would be angry that I tell them about Jesus. Well, just guess what? If Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you, Right? John chapter 16. He says, if they, if they, if they, if they call the, 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 your master Beelzebub and Satan, what do you think they're going to call you? Because of being a Christian. You know, being a Christian, we shouldn't, Paul, Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4.12, don't be surprised when you suffer for what you believe. Don't, don't get excited. Don't get, don't, don't get on the phone and say, you know, you, can you believe this? I'm suffering because I told somebody about Jesus. And you're kind of like, wow, you're blessed. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He says, he says when you're suffering for the name of Christ, he says, blessed are you when men, you, men uh, uh, call you names and do all these other things. He says, you're blessed. See, a, a disciple is not above his Lord and if they have accused Christ, they'll accuse you if you're a Christian. Don't, don't be surprised by, by, by suffering. In fact, if you're in a battle, don't be surprised if the enemy doesn't shoot at you. Right? I mean, you know, I remember uh, reading a story about a guy who was in National Guard. And um, he joined the National Guard because he thought that, well, it was free, free education. <laughs> But when he got over into Iraq and they started shooting at him, he says, I didn't sign up for that. Well, yes, you did. Hey, no, I just signed up for college, <laughs> free college. Well, I'm sorry, but you're in the battle now, and the enemy's shooting at you, and you just got to, you know, that's a part. That's a part of it, right? As a Christian, it's an honor. That's a badge of honor to suffer for the name of Christ. In fact, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, he says, I bear in my body, he says, the scars of Jesus, the schema. You know, uh, you know, if you've had heart surgery and you're wearing your shirt a little open, guess what? I'll know. I'll know that you've had heart surgery. Why? You're going to have a scar. I've got a scar right down my chest here. And uh, so, you know, all of a sudden you realize that that person that's got another scar, yeah, hey, we've got something in common. In fact, I had a guy come. He was working on my, uh, I don't know, he was working on something that had broken at the house. 
And, you know, he comes up, and he's walking, and he, this big scar on his chest. I said, I got one of those, too. And we started comparing scars. <laughs> we had something in common. But see, we bear, see, if we suffer for the name of Jesus, we wear the scars. Now, those scars are not redemptive. They don't save anybody. But those scars identify you as a brother or sister in Jesus Christ, that you have a common cause. You're fighting in the same fight that, you, that somebody else is. It's a proof that you're a believer. In fact, he says that when you are being persecuted for righteousness' sake, he says, don't be afraid. He says, that's a proof that you're a believer. You're going like, when you suffered the last time, did you say, thank you, Jesus, that I, that's an evidence that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a disciple of Jesus. We forget and you're going like, you realize what they called me? <laughs> I remember one, uh, one vice president in uh, Chicago, and I, I remember uh, I, I told my boss that this was happening, and he said, uh, and this other guy, he was, he was over the uh, automation area, and he says, that John Rollins, he's nothing but a liar. Boy, you're talking about boiling. It just started here, and boy, you could see the face red. And I was like, I can't believe he called me a liar. And I'm thinking like, and I didn't say anything about, I just told my boss, I said, well, I'm telling you the truth. You know, this is really, gonna, this is really things that you need to get fixed. Later, he apologized. But I don't know if he would have apologized if I'd gone into his office and said, Frank, what do you think you're saying? Now, his name was Frank, Frank, not this Frank. <laughs> What do you think? Well, you're calling me a liar. You know that this is true because I just talked to one of, one of, your, uh, uh, one of the guys who, who was doing automation, uh, doing some coding for us. And I said, you know that's true. And, I, you know, that wouldn't have gone anywhere. We wear the scars of Jesus. Take that as a, as a compliment. But he's saying that, too, when you act, when you, when you don't get all bent out of shape and upset, because guess what? Fear will, dis, will suck your joy right out of you. Right? What does Jesus say when he rose from the dead? Fear not, little flock. Fear not. He went to the disciples. Fear not. Why were the disciples fearful? Well, they were locked in an upper room, and they were going like, I hope nobody else knows that we follow Jesus. <laughs> Fear not. Because when you don't fear, guess what? It's an evidence, it's a proof that they're under judgment. When Paul and, when Paul and, and um, John, well, no, it's John and, uh, I think it was John and uh, James. They were in the temple, remember? And it says that as they were being threatened not to preach, it says that they prayed for something. They prayed for courage and boldness in the Holy Spirit to speak the word that needed to be spoken to the Sanhedrin and to the people. And God saved, what, 3,000 souls at Pentecost. You know, um, the world, you don't have to even say much to the world. I remember a story of Billy Graham, and he was out golfing with a bunch of uh, professional golfers. And this one golfer just kept, kept taking his his golf club, and he would beat it, throw it out, and he just, you know, he said, I can't stand that Billy Graham. And uh, the, uh, other, the other, the other uh, golfer was, what's wrong? I mean, what's, what, what's, what did Billy Graham do to you? He said, he didn't do anything to me. Well, why are you so upset? Well, I don't know. I don't like people preaching at me all the time. Well, what did he say to you? The guy kind of looked down. He says, he didn't say anything. <laughs> just his presence. His presence, I mean, think about it. 
that your presence actually would have that, in fact, that kind of impact on people. Just the fact that you are a person, you're credible. You're real. You're not saying I'm above all the struggles. I mean, look, read the Psalms. If you want to see people who are struggling sometimes with doubts and, and with other things and with hurts and pain, guess what? You're real. Because in that process, you're embracing the Lord Jesus Christ. In those moments, yes, Lord, I'm hurting. I've lost a, a friend, a person who I, I, so dear to me. But in that moment, you should take, you know, take, take a second look and say, Lord, but that's worth, that's worth it, being your child. You know, 1980, there's 270,000 Christians killed for their faith. 1995, 157,000. And I don't know what the, 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 the things are, but you know, there's Christians all around the world that are in prison, especially the Middle East, China. And they're being persecuted for their faith. Because they will not do this one thing. The Romans told people in Philippi this, that you had to bow the knee and say, Caesar is Lord. And they refused to do it. And guess what? When they refused to do it, they were either their head was cut off or they were, they were, put under, they were tortured to death in the Colosseum. I mean, read the story of Polycarp or any of those. You just, you know, your, your mind gets blown. You're thinking like, you know, that's, that's real faith, right? But there's a last thing I want to just leave us with, and I know I'm going a little bit over, but it's, it's this last thing that Paul says here is that we have the shared commitment to the gospel lifestyle that Paul did because notice verse 30, you're engaged, and basically it, it, all of this when he's saying you there, it's plural you, it's the church. He's not just talking about individuals, you, you the church. You're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. In other words, you, you have shared in that. And, and the way that you've done that is that you've been there in the foxhole with Paul. And if you read about the Philippian church, what happened when Paul was in prison? Chapter 4, they sent him a gift. What happened when he was taking money to the Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem saints who were, they were starving. They, they lost their jobs because they believed in Jesus. They, they couldn't make a living. In fact, uh, I, I hear, I know my friend in Egypt, he's a pastor there, and he has a, a school there, and he's, he, um, and when they come to Christ, many of the, I mean, if you're, you're a man or a woman, and you come to Christ from, and you were, you were, a, you were a, a Muslim, and you come to Christ, your family disowns you. That's what it costs you. And not only that, you lose your job. And not only that, you probably lose your kids. And not only that, you might get beheaded or thrown in prison. Now, that's what it means to be a believer there today. I have to be very careful when I write him because I don't want, I don't want him to, <laughs> you know, he just, you know, you have to be careful in that. But the, that's what they, that's what they, get, they endure. You know, the, in other words, we're fighting a same enemy and yes, we, like Paul, when he says, I bear the scars of Jesus, guess what? Those scars of rejection, that mockery that people make, sometimes they smucker under their, you know, that person pleasing Jesus, they're real. Uh, you know, or, or, you know, or, you know and those are, I mean, think about how light and how, how small that is compared to what, losing your life. Um, you know, in the Korean War, apparently, I, I didn't know this. I was just reading about it. But in the Korean War, in 1950, they thought they had won the Korean War. 
fact, the, 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 the uh, MacArthur had sent in this general, and they had uh, something like 30,000 troops. Many of them, I think it was, many of them were Marines, Frank, I think, if I don't remember. Um, but anyway, and they were on the verge of winning that battle, and the Chinese sent in something like, they said something like 60,000 troops. And uh, I was reading another account, it said 100,000. But anyway, they surrounded the Americans. And uh, anyway, the battle is called, uh, it's called frozen, well, they, there, there's another term, but it's ch- chosen reservoir, but it was, they call them the frozen chosen because it was, it was, that was how cold it was, and they're fighting. And, uh, but anyway, so they surrounded these troops, and these troops, uh, very, I mean, there was half the, half the troop got wiped out, I mean, or the, the battalion, whatever. It was a huge group of guys. But only a few, I mean, so half of, them, half of them got wiped out, but you know those people that survived it, there was a bond and a union between those guys. In order to be in that group, you had to have shared in the fighting. You had to be, you had to suffer together. You had to go through the experience that they had gone through in order to be a part of, of what would be the badge of honor. You know, yes, they were the frozen chosen. I mean, that, that, that's, by the way, that doesn't just mean people that believe that God saves his elect people. <laughs> but, but they paid the price of duty, right? They paid that price. And you couldn't get into that group of people just because saying, well, I want to be a part of that group. Well, you have, did you go through that? No. Oh, well, you can't be a part of it. But Christians, we are fighting a battle under a commander who it says he, he tread the grapes of wrath all by himself. He did that by himself. He defeated sin, crushed the head of Satan, and he pulled the sting of death out of the very hand of the angel of death. He did that, and we fight in that battle with him, and we're given the honor to follow him. As believers, we follow that, our captain, and so that when we're fighting a battle worthy of the gospel, guess what? This is what it looks like. The gospel is about forgiveness, right? We receive forgiveness as a gift. We're out to forgive others who ask us for forgiveness. You know, that's, I, I sometimes run into Christians. Well, I, I just, I'm not going to forgive that person. As long as I live, I won't forgive that person. Well, you know, are you forgiven in Christ? Yes. Well, you know, the Bible says if they ask for forgiveness, you're supposed to give it. That's, a, that's walking worthy of the gospel, isn't it? Or, or maybe this, the gospel is about God freely loving us in Christ, sacrificing his all, and we're called by the gospel, what? To love one another as Christ loved us. What does that mean? Sacrificially put somebody else's interest before your own. Well, but Lord, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is about me in life. And God says, put the other person first. What? More blessed to give than to receive. Or, 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 or what about this? The gospel freely, where we freely receive the gospel and God freely, he receives you and me as what? Brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what he says in Romans 14? Freely receive one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's fighting worthy of the gospel. The gospel is a picture of Christ laying aside his privileges. I mean, he was in heaven, the, the angels worshiping him crying out, holy, holy, holy. And it says he laid aside his rights, not, not his deity. He laid aside his rights voluntarily. And it says he came and he became a servant. He became a man. And then he lowered himself and he became a servant. And he lowered himself some more. And he died on the cross as a criminal. 
And he did that for you and me. So, so the gospel is really a picture. So when we're fighting for the gospel, we're not fighting. We're not out there tearing, tearing people up. We're there telling them about how God can work powerfully in their life. Replace bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and frustration. And yes, give us what I would call contentment. <laughs> and brothers and sisters, that's something you'll learn as a Christian. God, will, every day he's going to be teaching you. And you say, my circumstances, you know, when you're going through something, just remember, God's teaching you and to learn contentment in your trial. And you're going like, but Lord, that's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard not to be angry and bitter and frustrated. But guess what? That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to steal your joy. He wants you to be involved at fighting these these secondary battles with people and circumstances. It doesn't mean that you don't address things truthfully and honestly, but guess what? You can do that with the Spirit of Christ, and that's what he's going to talk about in chapter 2, and it's this. It's called humility. Humility is, a, it, I mean, it's, it, I mean, because that's what he's going to, he's going to talk about. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, and he's going to give you a pi- pictures of what humility looks like. Because until, until the gospel humbles us, guess what? We kind of were walking around. I'm always, you know, the people that I feel they're most frustrated are people saying, my rights have been violated. <laughs> well, join the, join the crowd, brother and sister. My rights get violated all the time, you know? You know, you, 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 pay, for, you pay for something at the, the right price and you find out it's a dud, you know? Uh, th- those things are happening. We live in a world that's fallen. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have rights to go and, and, and then to, uh, you know, in turn to, you know, to, to ask for some kind of equity. But don't let that drive your life into a life of bitterness and anger and frustration. See, we serve a different kind of master. The first 300 years of the church had such credibility. You know why? Because the soil, Tertullian said this, he says the first 300 years of the church was a church that was advancing, it was moving forward, it was growing, guess what? Because it was stained, the soil was stained with the blood of Christians. Now that's commitment, right? May God grant us the grace to to just, that God would just grow us in, in gospel humility. And a love for the gospel. You know, love for the gospel is love for Jesus. I mean, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Loving the gospel is loving Jesus more. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's his joy in me through the Holy Spirit. And God wants to fill us. He says, I want your joy not to just be a little. He says, I want your joy to be full. And the more that the life of Christ is taking over your agenda, guess what? The more joy we'll have as Christians. I found that true in my own life. Some of my frustrations, I realized as a, even as a kid, you know, I'd say, well, you know, if mom and dad had done this, and then I finally let go of all that. Once you become a parent, you realize, boy, they did a lot better job than I did, ever could have done. <laughs> yeah, they didn't do this, but boy, I tell you, they really enforced discipline. The joy of the Lord is our strength. May God grant us that this morning. Father, thank you for your word. And may it be pleasing in your sight, Lord, to uh, perfect that which is lacking in us and to grow us in joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.